the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. On this mission to arrest Christians, have them thrown in jail back in Jerusalem, persecuted, and then potentially killed for their faith. In what? For their faith in Christ. And then he has this incredible encounter on the road to Damascus. And sometimes we will affectionately refer to people who have this great transformational, you know, conversion experience. Like they'll say, well, you know, that person had a Damascus Road experience. That's what they mean. Because Paul's experience here is very unique and very dramatic. Paul's conversion was amazing. For most of us, coming to Christ was likely a much less dramatic event on a surface level. We didn't have Jesus appear and knock us to the ground and temporarily blind us. Probably weren't out there persecuting, torturing, and even killing Christians either. But as Pastor Gary will point out in today's message, all of us were on the same path as Paul, rejecting Jesus, headed towards eternal separation from him, until he stepped in and turned our lives around. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts chapter 9 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Chapter 9 of Acts, a very important chapter because uh, this is a, a, uh, a chapter of conversion for one of the most outspoken critics of Christianity, and that was Paul, who was at this time known as Saul. He is born a Jew, so he goes by a Jewish name, Shaul, uh, or Saul, uh, but later he will adopt the name Paul, his Roman name, because he wants to be able to minister to the Gentiles to whom he is primarily called to minister. You're going to see that here in the Lord's calling when he saves Paul on this road to Damascus. And by the way, I might use the, the name Saul and Paul interchangeably. We're talking about the same guy. But even part of the commission that Jesus gives to Paul is that he might be sent to the Gentiles. So he will be later mostly referred to as Paul, but here he is at first known by his given Hebrew name, Saul. And his conversion experience is going to turn the Jewish world upside down. Because uh, his, his experience is so dramatic, it, it is so transformational, that uh, it will have a huge impact uh, upon the known world at the time. And Paul will even be used, of course, by the Holy Spirit after he is converted to write 13 out of 27 books of the New Testament. So about a third of the New Testament attributed to Paul as he then expresses this newfound relationship 
uh, with Jesus Christ. Now, uh, so that we can appreciate his conversion, I just want to remind you of a couple of verses that we've already read. Go back to the end of chapter 7. Remember the end of chapter 7, uh, the cha- all of chapter 7 dealt with the stoning of Stephen, one of the first deacons of the early church. And again, it tells us about the stoning of Stephen, the very last verse of chapter uh, 7, which also kind of looks like verse 1 of chapter 8. But it says, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. That is to Stephen's death. He was giving approval uh, to his death. We mentioned last time about how that term giving approval is, can also be translated voting for. So it is an indication that perhaps Paul was a member of the, uh, the Jewish ruling council known as the Sanhedrin who, who then voted for and gave approval for the stoning of Stephen. They stoned him because of his belief in Jesus Christ as Messiah. Much, most of the Jewish world at this time did not accept Jesus as the Messiah. So it, to their ears, to their unbelieving ears, was blasphemous to say that Jesus is God. And Jesus is the son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. So that's why Stephen gets stoned and Saul is there giving approval to his death. Also in chapter 8, look just further to verse 2 of chapter 8. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. So now go to chapter 9. You notice here that, that, that Saul is emotionally and spiritually engaged in, in the intentional destruction of the church. He is vehemently opposed to Christianity. He sees it as a, an heretical sect of Judaism. And in his zeal... He does everything he can to persecute Christians and to have them murdered. Now, he is, some believe, the sort of the prosecuting attorney for the Sanhedrin, where he is about to be dispatched here in chapter 9 with a letter from the Sanhedrin giving him authority to go to Damascus in Syria, same Damascus, Syria today. Damascus, Syria is one of the oldest continually occupied cities in the world. And he's on his way to that same Damascus, Syria, where he's going to try to sniff out Christians. And if he finds them, he's going to haul them back to Jerusalem, throw them in jail, and eventually in hopes of having them killed. So this is that guy, very supercharged in his disdain for Christians. It, it comes out of a motivation to try to, a zeal for God to try to do the right thing. But how many of you understand that sometimes our zeal to do the right thing can be painfully wrong? And, and this is Saul. So here in chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. King James says, threatenings and slaughter against the Lord's disciples. Okay, so these weren't, these weren't empty threats. He has every intention of trying to rid the earth of Christians. Murderous threats. Again, King James says, threatening and slaughter. And it says that he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Now, you can write in the margin of your Bible that from Jerusalem to Damascus, it's about 150 to 200 miles. And he's going to make this journey. 
And he's going to go to the synagogues in Damascus. Now, there's a term called the diaspora. The diaspora just means Jews scattered around the world. And, and there were a community of Jews living in Damascus, Syria. And Paul was going to go there, again, Saul, Paul, he was going to go there with these letters to the synagogues in Damascus because he wanted them to know, the Jews to know that he comes with the authority of the Sanhedrin to find out any Christians who are a part of this, this heretical sect of Judaism. And so here he comes with papers in hand. So that if he, the rest of verse 2 says, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the way is a term for Christianity. Even Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He says, so that if he found anyone, any, any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, I'm just going to read through this section, then we'll come back. Suddenly... A light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name, here it is, before the Gentiles and their kings And before the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So here's this dramatic conversion account here of Saul on the road to Damascus. In order to appreciate the story, I want want you to understand a little background on Saul. So I'm going to ask you to go to Acts 22. Just skip ahead to Acts 22. I want to show you just a couple of verses. Uh, This is all from the lips of of Paul himself as he kind of gives a testimony on one occasion here in Jerusalem. He's he's arrested. The crowd in Jerusalem gets fired up at some of the stuff that he's saying. And so in his defense, he says this about himself in Acts 22, verse 3. It says, then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, meaning Jerusalem, 
Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As also the high priest and all the council can testify, I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Now, keep your place there in Acts 22 because I, I just want to highlight a little bit here from what we just read so we understand Saul a little bit. First of all, he says right there in, in his own testimony that he's a Jew and he was born in Tarsus of Cilicia. Now, Cilicia was a province. If you look at a map, it's southern Turkey right along the coast of the Mediterranean. That's where he was born. He's a Jew, but he's born in what is today modern Turkey. However, he tells us in, in Acts 22 there that he was educated in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was considered one of the most well-respected rabbis uh, of all time. And so uh, Paul's parents must have been pretty well-to-do. They basically send him to boarding school over in Jerusalem. He leaves Turkey, he goes to Israel, and he's going to be educated by none other than the great Gamaliel. And so that's part of his pedigree. He was educated under Gamaliel. And then he talks about there in Acts 22 how he was zealous for God, had a great amount of zeal uh, for the Lord, and that he also was persecuting Christians. Uh, And it's identified there as followers of this way. And again, it's because he saw them as a heretical sect of Judaism. So that's why he was so zealous. He actually thought he was doing God a favor. If you really believe something passionately... And you will do everything you can to see that that thing happens or is fulfilled. You know, A plus for his zeal, right? But an F for his understanding of what the truth was. Uh, Very educated guy, not dumb at all, very smart man, but had missed the truth about Jesus. In fact, in Galatians chapter 1.13, when he talks about his testimony a little bit more, you don't need to turn there, but he says, I was intensely persecuting Christians. I mean, he had, he had every intention of ridding the earth of Christians. And he thought he was doing it in the name of God, for God, and doing God a favor. So this is Paul. And here he is on this mission to Damascus, the 150, 200 mile journey or so from Jerusalem to Damascus, letters in hand on this mission to arrest Christians, have them thrown in jail back in Jerusalem, persecuted and then potentially killed for their faith. In what? For their faith in Christ. And then he has this incredible encounter on the road to Damascus. And sometimes we will affectionately refer to people who have this great transformational, you know, conversion experience. Like they'll say, well, you know, that person had a Damascus Road experience. That's what they mean. Because Paul's experience here is very unique and very dramatic. And what we see happening here, just to kind of summarize what we have just read here in the first few verses of chapter 9, is that when Saul was near Damascus, Syria, on his way to persecute Christians, the Lord Jesus appeared to him. Now, When the Lord appears to him in this brilliant light, it says there in verse 4, if we back up now, we're going to kind of backtrack here and and, and unpack the first uh, 19 verses. In verse 4, it says that, that, that Saul fell to the ground. And 
for whatever reason, a lot of people have it in their head that that he fell off a horse. I, I don't know if that's because in Sunday school, you know, part of the old, <laughs> going back again to date myself to the old flannel boards, you know, maybe there's a picture of, of Saul on a horse and, you know, and then he got knocked off the horse. It, it maybe, it just doesn't say that he was on a horse. Okay. It doesn't say that. So, you know, we've kind of, sometimes we embellish the story. You know, it doesn't take anything away, I suppose, from the ultimate story, but there's no mention of a horse here. All right. It just says that he fell to the ground in verse four. And Jesus then appears to him. Now, this is the resurrected Lord Jesus who miraculously in this unique occasion appears to Saul. Saul sees him and hears him. It tells us that Paul's traveling companions in verse 7 only heard they did not see. So that's kind of interesting. So the Lord didn't reveal himself to the traveling companions. They heard something. It doesn't even say they heard the words of Jesus. It just says in verse 7 that the men traveling with Saul stood their speeches. They heard the sound. You know, so what sound did they hear? Did they actually hear the exact words that Jesus spoke to Saul? It doesn't say that, just that they heard a sound, but, but that they, it says, but they did not see anyone. So they don't see Jesus, only Saul does. And Jesus, in his appearance here to Saul, says to him, why do you persecute me? There in verse four, and, and he repeats it again when, when Saul says in verse five, who are you, Lord? And Lord, even though he doesn't honestly acknowledge him as Jesus. Otherwise, why would he be asking, who are you? But it's, it's, a, it's a term of respect. He, he recognizes this is some divine being here. Who are you, Lord? And then Jesus, again, when Jesus identifies himself, I am Jesus, and he again says, whom you are persecuting. Why do you persecute me? And then I'm Jesus, the one that you persecute. So he brings up this persecution thing Jesus does twice to, to indicate to us, Jesus is very connected to his children. You mess with his kids, you're messing with him. You know how it goes. If somebody ever intends to do harm to one of your children, it's as if they're intending to do harm to you. Because if if somebody tries to harm your children, they're in as much harming you. Jesus is saying, why are you persecuting me? I mean, Saul was going around persecuting the early church. He was persecuting Christians. What had he personally done to Jesus? Except that in persecuting the followers of Christ, you were persecuting Christ. You are persecuting Christ himself. And so Jesus confronts him with this question. Why are you persecuting me? Saul says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, right here at this this juncture, between verses 5 and 6, and I just want to point this out. King James and New King James versions have something the NIV doesn't. And I want to point this out. Between verses 5 and 6, King James and New King James adds that Jesus says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then in verse 6, Jesus says, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Why does the NIV not have it? King James, New King James does. It's It's an age old debate about the ancient manuscripts, the oldest versus the most quantity. And NIV opts for if, if not all of the, of the ancient manuscripts had it, then we'll just kind of eliminate it to be on the safe side. But, but it doesn't, again, really take anything away from the story, except that it does shed light on Paul's disposition and sometimes our own. 
And by that, I mean this. Jesus confronts him. Why are you, why are you kicking against the goats? Now, to understand what he means, you have to be a farmer in the first century. So if you don't know what a goat is, here's what a goat is. A goat is basically, if you're a farmer and you're driving a few oxen who are, who are you know, plowing your field, and your oxen get all stubborn, like sometimes animals will, will. That a farmer would have a long stick, basically, with a sharp pointed, jagged metal end. And if the oxen just got all stubborn or stopped, the farmer would take the goad with this sharp metal point and, and punch the behind of, of the oxen to get them moving. You know, you get poked in the behind, you'll start moving yourself too. And so, but the idea is that sometimes the oxen, in their stubbornness, would refuse to move. And every time they'd get hit by the goad, the the oxen would just kind of kick back. They'd kick back against it. And so it's this idea of, don't you realize, you know, you oxen, if you keep kicking back against the goad, you're going to do more harm to yourself. Stop, stop resisting and just move on. And so Jesus uses this expression to communicate to Saul, you've been kicking against me for a long time and you've done yourself more harm than good. Haven't you felt the pain? Every time you kick against me, haven't you felt the pain? You know something? This this story, though it happened in the first century AD, could be said of any of us because I'm sure there's been plenty of times you, you've known what the Lord wanted you to do, but you just were like, eh, I don't want to do that, Lord. Eh, I don't want to do that. You know, and, and you inflict more injury on yourself because you, you just rebel against the Lord. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure a few of you could relate that the more you kind of resisted the Lord and rebelled against him, the more painful it became. Stop kicking. Stop kicking. And Jesus says to him, why do you kick against the goad? So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Jesus then answers, verse 6, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So he goes on into Damascus, obviously with the help of his traveling companions, because it tells us that as a result of this encounter, he was blind for three days until a guy by the name, a disciple by the name of Ananias, was sent by the Lord to pray for him that he might receive both his sight and the Holy Spirit. Ananias is the Greek transliteration of his name. His Hebrew name is Hananiah. Hananiah is one of the names that we find in the book of Daniel, one of the friends of Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. Hananiah in Hebrew means God is gracious or God's favor. And so here is this disciple by this name, He's a Jew, but he is a believer in Jesus, minding his own business in Damascus, when it tells us that the Lord appeared to him in a vision, in verse 10. Called him by name, Ananias answers, yes, Lord. And the Lord tells him there in verse 11, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Look how specific God is here with his instruction. Go to the house of Judas. Here's his address, Straight Street. Ask for a man. He was born in Tarsus. His name is Saul, and he's praying. Got it? I mean, that's pretty clear. That's pretty specific. And it says, 
Jesus goes on, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. The book of Acts is awe-inspiring as you see the Christian church take off. You see these frightened disciples who had scattered, rallied together, and then spread out beyond their borders. It takes great faith to do what these believers did, just like it takes great faith to spread the word today. How are you engaging with this series so far? Do you have any questions or concerns? If so, feel free to email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd be happy to hear your prayer requests, too. Are you living in or visiting the Leesburg, Virginia area? We'd like to invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. You can find our service times and other information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and links to download our mobile app. Just look under the Teachings tab. Once again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and hearing some things from the book of Acts that we hope inspire you. We look forward to you joining us again here on Cornerstone Connection. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.